You're the coolest. No, you're the coolest. No, you're the coolest. Okay, I'm the coolest. I am Pastor Floyd Hughes from Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills, and with me, as always, is... I'm sorry, Mark Berkshire. I'm the pastor at uh, Meadow Run Community Church in Ohio Powell, Pennsylvania. And with us today, we have a special guest, and it's Rissa Paul, uh, and she is from Montana. So we're glad to have her with us today as we... Uh, have a discussion about pastors. So really Thank quick, you, Marissa, I, have a, I have a question for you. <clears throat> and I don't know if you're going to remember this, but, uh, well, you'll remember this part. Uh, previously, uh, what was the name of the church you were at? I'm sorry, was was that for, for me? That for was that? for you. Yeah. yeah, what was the name of the church that you were at before you retired? Uh, I'm, I'm really not retired, but well, yeah, we're going to get into that. <laughs> I, uh, for the last seven years, I pastored the Lutheran and Presbyterian United Church of Hot Springs, Montana. Okay. So I don't know if you remember this and I don't remember how long ago it was, but when I first interacted with you, it was on the, uh, small church pastors right. uh, group. and. I don't remember why, but I messaged you about something and asked you what church you were from. And you said the Lutheran Pastors United Church. And Lutheran I responded, uh, what did I say? I think I said, oh, so you're a pastor of two different churches, which is typical. A lot of people do. And you said, no, I'm the pastor of the Lutheran Presbyterian, Presbyterian. United Church because mm -hmm. we got it right and learned how to do both. And that has stuck with me ever since that you were able to unite two very different congregations, but bring them together and work with them and see God's will done. And um, yeah, have never forgotten. I don't even know if you remember that, but never forgotten that. Cause I was like, that's, uh, that's a woman that God is definitely going to keep using. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it is a, a great story in a little tiny town. Hot Springs has about 600 people. If everybody's home and a couple of us have company. Uh, <laughs> so you had two struggling small churches, both of them running many of the same programs. And they began to say, well, why can't we just get together and do, do life together? And so that is exactly what they started doing. And basically they viewed it as a marriage where just like with a husband and, and wife, you have two separate people, but at the same time, they function as one and do life together. Uh, that way we were able to have a budget big enough to run a pretty good program especially a pretty good youth program. Good. Yeah, that 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 is amazing. And that's 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 actually what the church is supposed to be like, <laughs> uh, regardless of our different understandings of theology and ways we want to worship. We're all supposed to come together and do one thing. And you just made a comment uh, because I said you recently retired and you were like, you are not retired and no. you are not. So 
What are you doing now since you, I have air uh, quote fingers up, retired? I am the bridging executive pastor for First Presbyterian Church in Great Falls, Montana. Great Falls is a city of about 60,000. Uh, this is a very old church. I think it's 130 something years old. I recognize for you guys from the East, that's not very old. But for here, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so they, uh, their pastor stepped down in, in March. And so I have been here then since June. But you were doing even more stuff before that, right? <laughs> yes, I am also, <laughs> I said, retired. Um, I also have breakaway ministry and breakaway is a ministry of pulpit supply and presence and prayer especially for pastors of small churches whose churches cannot afford to let them have a sabbatical and as we all know burnout happens and the other thing is, many times pastors don't have anybody safe they can talk to. Uh, we talk to other pastors, and sometimes that's safe, and sometimes that isn't. Or we talk to people in leadership, and sometimes that's safe, and sometimes that isn't. So breakaway is to provide a safe space but also that ministry of pulpit supply so that the pastor and spouse can get away for a retreat or get away for whatever they need. And here's an experienced pastor able to keep things going. Well, you bring up uh, probably one of the first of many of these topics we're going to hit. Um, of the challenges that pastors face and one is like you said is burnout where they are just tired especially in small church pastors where there's one pastor doing all the pastoring all the ministering all the youth pastoring all the small group teaching uh, all the vacuuming all the toilet cleaning all the carpet i mean just doing everything um so let me i'm gonna ask mark mark have you um hit probably not yet <laughs> oh mark is mark is in the middle of doing something so i'll go back to you Risa. so have you hit uh when you were at your previous uh congregation like burnout when you didn't have someone like you to turn to uh what were the, the options available um we were missionaries for several years. Uh, and when we came home, that is exactly the place where we, we were. There were several difficulties. We were very burned out. And yet we had neither the resource personally, the, the money needed for anything, or uh, was there support for us to find the help that we needed to, to continue in ministry. It was very much a time of burnout. Uh, 
uh, moving forward, uh, as we went through COVID, uh, many pastors uh, found themselves in a, in a space where no matter what we did, we were wrong. If we said we need to mask, there were those who said, oh, no, we don't. And there were others who said, well, if you don't, I won't come. And no matter what we did at that point in time, we, we were wrong mm -hmm. with at least part of our sheep. Furthermore, how do you pastor? How do you do a funeral when you cannot get within six feet of somebody who is, who is grieving? Um, this was an extremely hard time for all of us in ministry. And I think some of those stresses, and then you add to that the stresses within our, um, the stresses of our time, um, racial stress, class stress, uh, the fact that most of our churches are, we find that the nuns and the duns, the people who either have no religion or who have left for one reason or the other, uh, it is a time of tremendous stress for all of us, but I think especially for pastors. Well, this is why we have Risa on the call, because she just hit every topic I was going to bring up. In one, in like one blurb, she just hit everything that, I mean, everyone, uh, criticism, uh family, attendance, stress, anxiety, racism, all of it. She just threw it all in there. And <laughs> yeah, those those are the realities of what um, every every pastor is dealing with some sort of one of those those things. So Mark, what I was asking you while you were um, otherwise engaged was uh, how right. do you deal with when you hit like anxiety and burnout and, and keep from getting in that that place because we're all here we're all small church pastors we're all yeah. under that you know mega have we don't have the mega church numbers we don't have the assistant pastors and the and, and the worship leader pastors and you know 17 other people on staff who can step in for us yeah my church is really small it's about 15 people on a good sunday um and it's an elderly congregation so it's you know, our average age is probably 70 in, in the church. Um, and it's very difficult. I, I hit anxiety a lot <laughs> dealing with this little church, not because of the people, not because they're such a handful that I can't handle it, but because I don't know how to make it grow where we're at because we are such an isolated congregation as well. We're not in the middle of town. We're not, you know, everywhere. We're right along the edge of the creek that runs through the town. And um, the closest house is about a half a mile away. And, but to handle anxiety and stress and burnout is to just get into the word of God, is to just start getting into the word of God saying, you called me to this position. I'm not going to give up this position. You called me here. I don't know where you're leading me or what you're doing, but understanding that he is completely in control of everything. 
And that's not, that's easier said than done. That's why I have friends like you, Floyd, and, and Rissa that I can call and they were text and say, pray for me. I'm, I'm in a bad place. And you guys will just start praying. I don't even have to go to where I'm at. Just say that. And, and I'm covered with prayer. So pastor, it's important for pastors to have someone or a couple people that they can trust and know that all they have to do is text them and say, pray, and we will cover them in prayer, no matter what the situation is. Um, you know, Floyd knows I've, I've been dealing with some, some personal issues um, with, with um, investigations by police and everything else for a child abuse case that, that was around us. And um, that really stressed me out on top of being pastor, on top of being leader, um, the phone call I just had, that's where I was engaged, was one of my, one of the ladies at a nursing home I go to on a regular basis is in the hospital that just had brain surgery and had a brain bleed and they are calling me to go to the hospital. So I told them I'd be there in a little while. But, you know, a pastor's job is never just sitting down looking at the Bible, trying to figure out what to say on Sunday. It's doing the other things like Floyd was talking about, cleaning the toilets, you know, polishing the furniture, going and taking someone groceries, going and taking someone to a doctor's appointment that can't get there. Or, or you know, people rely on us for all kinds of things. You know, I had a lady in our church that called me, about 12 o'clock the other night just said that she had a, a a wound on her leg that wouldn't stop bleeding and wanted to know if I could come 30 minutes to help her get the bleeding stopped. And I called 911, <laughs> you know, called 911, get them over there to get the bleeding stopped. And that's what she did. But it, it's just things like that. The people don't recognize the pressures that are on pastors to perform. You know, Mark, I, I think you hit there on two of the very, of the things that we just have to have. Mm -hmm. And one is the confidence in the, in the, in what the word of God says. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that, you, you, you reflected, you have people that call you for this, that, or the other thing, the bleeding leg. I remember in, in one church, I had a lady who locked herself out fairly often. Now, I don't remember breaking and entering being covered in <laughs> of my seminary classes. <laughs> but she would call and she'd say, Pastor, I've locked myself out again. Could you come over and help me get in? Yeah. Uh, we finally realized that the easiest way to do that was for us to go downtown and make a copy of the key, which I then kept. But yeah. anyway, uh, <laughs> but, you know, two things there, confidence in the word of God and then reflecting where we as pastors go when we need a pastor. Mm -hmm. And one of the bottom lines is everybody needs a pastor. Yeah. Everybody needs that safe person who will reflect Jesus mm -hmm. 
in whatever problem they're, they're in. Amen. So that if any of the three of us are, I remember a couple of times I was in deep and I called Floyd and I said, Hey, give me some, give me some guidance here. Yeah. Um, like you said, all you have to do is say, is text either of us and say, pray. Mm-hmm. And it's done. Yeah. And that kind of relationship as a pastor is priceless. Yes. Yeah. The is. other thing is having uh, a coach and or a spiritual director. Now, spiritual direction is a very, very old practice. And I then we don't like that word direction because it really doesn't describe what it is, but it's basically someone to come alongside and say, what is God's invitation in this, in this hard place? What is God inviting us to in a very, very difficult thing? Because God never says, oops, I didn't know that was going to happen with what happens in our uh, lives. Yeah, and I, and I think there there's times that we bring it on ourselves, mm-hmm. and there's times that it is put upon us, and either either circumstance, either time, or either situation, I should say, would be what is God trying to teach me from this? And oftentimes, I think you know that's that's what people come into our offices to to talk about. Mm-hmm. So we also need that place where we can go to talk about those things in our lives. Right. It would be wonderful if we could say, well, I'm a pastor. Therefore, I don't need anyone because I walk with God. And while that's true, it's also true that God made us to need each other. Right. And Jesus was a, a great example of that because he went when he was in difficult times, he went straight to the father. He -hmm. went straight to God and, and got his advice firsthand, but he was an example of teaching us how to go and get help when we need help. And you, you look at the, at the early church and you have Peter and Paul basically duking it out a couple of times because they needed each other as iron sharpens iron. Right. But how do we, how do we, because that's a great question. How do we, how do we make that a reality today? Because like you said, Peter and Paul, they would, they would kind of duke it out, but then they would also come back together. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, You have the disciples who are like, which one of us is the greatest, but you also have them breaking bread together. And today you have pastors either divided by their denomination or divided by their, and I'm not saying this is correct, but their understanding that, hey, we're all in the same community. We have to fight to see which one of us are going to get the people in the community to come to our building, which is not the case. We're all supposed to be on the same team. So if they come into your building, that's, my thinking is if they're going into your building, that's great because now I can focus on other people that aren't going into your building because you, you, you've got them. You've, you're bringing them into the kingdom. 
So now I can focus on the ones that you aren't bringing into the kingdom and see how I can bring them into the kingdom. But instead of being kingdom minded, we're all bringing them into the kingdom. We all think we've got to bring them into our buildings and into our denominations. So even trying to do like local ministeriums don't really work that well because there's still all this division. So how do you, I mean, how do you make that a reality? That's an excellent question, Floyd. (laughs) (laughs) Is there even a, I mean, in the perfect world, we would all be working together and not fighting amongst each other, but we live in an imperfect world. And I think it has to begin with, in my mind, it has to begin with me being willing to shed the the dominational um, aspect of what church is and come back to what the Bible says church is. You don't see a denomination listed in the Bible at all. There is no denomination. And so that is a man-made thing, and we have to understand it's man-made, and it's got its purposes. I mean, there are reasons for it, but when we shed that idea of this is what my church is and this is the only way to be there and get to heaven is to go through my church, then we're we're defeating the purpose of loving others and loving God. One of the phrases that I, I use a lot in ministry, and I got it from a Baptist uh, on the mission field. Mike, who was from Georgia somewhere, Mike used to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And let me hit that again. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So, you know, I'll, I'll say, you know, how many churches are there in this town of 60,000 people. Clue you in, it's a trick question. <laughs> How many churches are there? There's only one. That's exactly right. So look at the three of us. We're from different areas. We're from different backgrounds. How is it that we're sitting, okay, on Zoom, How is it that we're sitting together talking like this? How did we get to know each other? What what had to happen first was a relationship. Yeah. What had to happen first was an openness so that, and I, Floyd, I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly why we we began to message each other I, I think maybe I, I'll tell you what it was it was that uh, Bible um, National Day of Day of Prayer that video thing that video that was what it was okay. uh, but an, an openness to each other recognizing each other as part of the family and not only that, part of the shepherding part of the family, 
Right. Even though I'm sure if the three of us sat down and talked about doctrine, it wouldn't take very long before we'd find a question where we had three <laughs> very different answers. Yes. Well, but I will tell you, Mark and I have had this discussion before, and I don't know how long we've been doing this podcast, but we've had things where we disagree, and that's okay because we have come to the understanding it, it, you know, we disagree. And then we'll still go out and let's have lunch together. Let's have coffee together because we're still brothers in Christ. So, right. Because the main <laughs> thing is yeah. to keep the main thing the main thing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I remember a, a fellow in a church and he and I disagreed. We were pretty far apart and we'd talk about the issue a lot. And eventually I'd reach the point where I'd look at him and I'd said, well, you know, brother, one day we'll both get to heaven and we'll find out that you're right. Yes. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Were you going to say something, Mark? I was just going to say it, it, it not only takes building a relationship, but it takes that first step be the one who takes the first step you know don't wait for somebody else to step out floyd and i met because floyd needed someone to fill in a pulpit and i was available and we met at a at a chick-fil-a down in in um, near where floyd lives in jefferson hills and we hit it off right from the start i think you know but it was him reaching out to me and me being willing to to go to him you know so there, there has to be a willingness, like you said, on both parties to build that, to start that relationship and build that relationship. And, and I think that that relationship begins from, from an openness rather than you're saying, oh, she's a female pastor and she's Presbyterian. <laughs> This means that I can't have fellowship with her because of blah, 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 blah. It has to begin with an openness where both of you got to know me mm -hmm. without judging me by the labels that we tend to slap on each other. Right. And I do mean slap. Yeah. Well, let me bring this up because you, uh, you hit the nail on the head because that is one of the challenges that pastors deal with. And it's criticisms, um, but, and I'm going to just throw this out there, you being a woman, me being a black man, we've probably dealt with a lot more criticisms. Uh, you from, you know, like you said, people who are criticizing you because you're a women pastor. Uh, I'm a black pastor in an all-white community with a white wife of an all-white congregation. So <laughs> I've dealt with my fair share of, of criticisms and racial comments and yada, yada, yada. So. Um, What's a good way for pastors to help deal with the criticism without being overwhelmed by it? Again, that's for the expert. <laughs> <laughs> and an expert, uh, sometimes you can call that, you know, uh, a spurt is a drip under pressure. 
or you can think of it as somebody who is 50 miles from home yeah Uh, that would also be be an expert but you know floyd it it is hard mark it is hard because we do tend i mean we are sensitive people if we weren't sensitive we couldn't hear the needs and because we are sensitive, it becomes very easy to get hurt by it, to bring it inside. And so for me, one of the things that I've had to rely on is to be very, very sure of my calling and to just say to myself, well, you know, brother, uh, and like I said, say to myself, because if I say it out loud, it's going to cause a fuss. Mm-hmm. Well, brother, I tell you what, you tend to your call and I'll tend to mine. Yeah. And someday we'll both answer to God for it. Yeah. But I also think that what we are doing here and what uh, on the Facebook page where we all met is one of the things that helps a great deal mm-hmm. um, to get to know each other as people yeah. instead of knowing each other as labels. Right. Yeah. And to be honest, my congregation doesn't call me pastor. They call me Mark. That's you know, that's just the way they, they don't they don't use pastor first, you know. And I, I kind of like that because it, it shows that I am part of them you know um i think a lot of times as is with all this stress and pressure that we put on ourselves we bring a lot of criticism on ourselves too because we put ourselves on a pedestal well i'm the preacher i'm supposed to be the one that does that not you and um for example i don't get the mail at my church i don't see a piece of mail unless it's addressed to me there's somebody that gets the mail and takes care of it every time. And I don't even ask questions about it. And I like it. (laughs) I don't do anything with the offering. I I mean, I pass the plate. That's about it. I don't have anything else to do with it after, after that. Um, I don't know how much the money's in the bank account. I don't know how much money there is to work off of. I just know if I go to them and I say, I need something, they get it. And I get criticized because I'm not in control of the congregation sometimes because i'm allowing too many people to control things that the pastor should be as always known to control and so i put a lot of criticism on myself am i doing the job that god called me to do and then i look at jesus's example he didn't take care of the money he never did anything with the money he never did anything with you know he had his disciples go and do the things that he needed done. So I, I'm following Jesus's example. So then I have to stop beating myself up because of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And I think there's a, cause I, I have seen, and you guys have probably seen in that Facebook group, we're a part of where uh, it's gone on every end of that spectrum people who are at where mark is where we have nothing to do with the money and we don't touch it we don't you know someone else takes care of that but then there's the other end 
where people are like, yeah, we look at, we count every penny. It's reported to the pastor. I have to know this, yada, 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 and everything in between. And people who are criticized, like, I don't touch the money either, but because I'm just that technical geek, I do all of the reporting. So technically, yeah, I see everything what everyone gives. I don't touch any of the physical money, but <clears throat> I do the reporting and I create the reports. And some of them look pretty cool because that's what I enjoy. <laughs> but and I see pastors saying, oh, well, that's, a, you know, that's a temptation on me to treat people differently based on knowing what they get. One, my memory's not that good. So once I'm done with the reporting, I'm not trying to remember who gave what. And two, I've been doing this for, what, 15 years now and have not treated anyone differently because of what they give. Yeah. But I, I, I think, like what you said, Mark, we've got to stop creating these, these, for lack of a better term, silos of here's the way we have to operate and just find, hey, based on, you know, what the Bible says, the way that we can apply it based on our situation, do what works for us and just, just kind of kind of go with that and uh, although there is the tendency which is i wanted to bring this up too there's the tendency because this is i mean we shouldn't but we're pastors it's kind of ingrained into us to worry about the attendance like are we uh for a long time i felt like am i failing at what god has called me to do uh because when i first got here there was a lot of racial up and down and tension or whatever. And I felt like, okay, God, maybe you got it wrong. You know, <laughs> maybe this isn't the right community for a black man and a white wife to be in an all white community, pastoring an all white church. Um, and it wasn't until I kind of had to come to grips with, well, God hasn't called me to make sure I bring people into the building, which yeah. Mark and I have talked about multiple times on the podcast that, you know, yeah, we can't help but wonder about it because, you know, we're pastors, but our focus is, hey, the people that are there, how can we equip them to go out of the buildings, share the gospel uh, within with people in their circles of influence? Uh, and then as God leads them, uh, they'll bring people in. We just have to be prepared for that. So um, I think that's one of the struggles dealing with the attendance thing, especially if you're in a community where you're looking around, you know, at the other churches and although like Risa said there's only one church but we see multiple congregations and not I don't know a, a good way to say this I'll just spit it out and clean up later when you look at another congregation pastor's not preaching a word the worship team is not that good but people are flocking there and you're like hey God you know <laughs> I'm 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 staying true to your word and and everything and and it's hard not to feel beat up over that. Yes, I agree. I mean, I I feel the same way. You know, I look at my church when I took my church over in May, and we had everybody there was the regular attenders, and there was 15 people. I kind of gulped and said, "Lord, what do you put me in this church for?" <laughs> you know, but the Lord knows what He's doing. You know. There's three churches in our little town, and there's only 60 residents, regular residents in the town. So you do the math and you figure out all of the churches are small, you know. So it, it's just and and two of the churches are downtown where they get all the visitors in and stuff. And mine's way out 
out of town and we don't get visitors tracking by except for fishermen the first day of fishing season and uh and you know you do beat yourself up on attendance and and, and like you said floyd we're not supposed to be looking at that though we're supposed to be looking at making disciples and we're supposed to be looking at feeding the sheep and that's what we are supposed to do we're not supposed to buy sheep to get them in we're supposed to feed the sheep we have and you're both right humanly it is it is so difficult not to look at those numbers uh, not to say not to say lord why can't i have that yeah. Um, yeah. and um, you know um carl vaughters says he says, God must love the small church because he made so many of them. <laughs> and I think a part of the answer is to begin recognizing the strengths that we have as small church pastors. Yeah. Where we are much more shepherds. Okay, I'm from the West. Uh, much more shepherds because a shepherd knows the sheep mm -hmm. rather than ranchers. Because ranchers have no idea other than the ear tag, which cows, which. Yeah. Um, and now the other thing then is to say different is different. It's neither better nor worse. It's just different. And God has called me, go ahead and say it, has called us to small churches. Mm -hmm. um, and every church that I've been a part of has been a small church, including this one. Yeah. And, and every church I've pastored has been a small church. I've been in, involved in some mega churches, but I didn't feel at home in those mega churches like I do in a small church atmosphere. And I will say this again, in case anyone's listening, there's nothing wrong with big mega churches. No. <laughs> uh, I've been a part of churches of 3,000. Uh, and it's good to have that budget <laughs> and to have that team. Uh, our creative team was probably like, you know, 30 people. Um, that's just one team. Uh, but I've also been a part of, like I said, small churches where that creative team is whatever the pastor. Besides, here's 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 the creativity <laughs> that's flowing through my head right now, and here's what I'm gonna do. So, um, but I, uh, you guys bring up a good point, and uh, I think Risa, you said it best. It's about being a shepherd, that connection that you have with the sheep. Uh, so both of you are relatively somewhat new to your congregations. How is it going with getting integrated? Because that's also one of the challenges that pastors face. I know when I first got to uh, Crossroads, it was Beulah Baptist at the time. It was a little difficult getting <clears throat> integrated, getting accepted by the people in the congregation as, you know, right now, we're all family. Back then, it was Pastor Floyd, and here's the congregation. Yeah. So how are you guys doing on getting that integration to where it's not, it's not just you know, pastor the congregation, it's it's a family of people uh, kind of intermeshed together. 
I'm in my fourth month or starting my fourth month this coming Sunday at my, my current church. And I feel welcomed, but I still don't feel trusted. If that makes sense. They don't know whether they can trust me with their problems. We had a month after I was there, one of our members, um, went into the hospital for surgery. They never called me. They never let me know they were going. Um, I found it out on a prayer request on Sunday mornings when you ask for prayer requests. And I said, is there anything I can do to help? No, we got it all taken care of. So I'm in a mountain community that are mountain people that are, and I live in the, I live at the bottom of the mountain. They're on top of the mountain. And there's a big difference between our cultures so I have to try to integrate into that culture again um, because I did, I used to live on a mountain, but I moved back down. So it is just getting re reintroduced to that and building the trust of those in the church to know, Hey, we can call pastor Mark. He'll be here in 20 minutes, you know? So mine right now is, is a little different in that I have a limited interim contract, which gives me a, a different point of view than I've ever had before when I've come to a, to a new church. Mm-hmm. It gives me a, a freedom that you don't usually find when you first come to say some of the very hard things. Uh, one of the statements that I made very early on here uh, at a at a meeting was you all like me now, but by the time this is done, it's okay if some of you don't like me, because there are some very hard choices that this church is going to be called to make and is in the process of making, as it begins to look at what is reality now in twenty twenty. Two instead of what was reality in 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and I, there are lots of churches I, I know that, but being an interim, I think, has given me that freedom mm-hmm. and also allowed a measure of trust that probably if I were here as their pastor, I wouldn't have for several more months. And, and I told my congregation right from the start, even before they hired me, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're looking at the wrong guy. And, you know, I might as well not waste my time if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> so, and the Sunday they voted me in, I preached a sermon that I thought for sure they would not invite me to be their pastor because <laughs> it was all about Christian living and not being, um, part-time Christians and just coming to church, but to get out and get involved and, and things. And, and they're a very, they're a very close knit family and they don't like a lot of people button in. So when I preached that, I knew I was going to hit some buttons and they all voted unanimously right after the service to have me come as pastor. So <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, are there any other things before we uh, 
before we wind down here, any other things that you guys wanted to bring up as challenges for pastors or issues that pastors face? And we haven't talked about this one, but if you guys don't have any, uh, there's one more I want to throw out there. Okay. Any any other ones that you guys can think? I was just going to say, for pastors, don't be afraid to ask your congregation to pray for you. If you're struggling in an area, don't be afraid to say, hey, I'm having difficulty. Will you pray for me? The congregation, if they are truly behind you, they will pray for you. But you need to be careful and not spill out everything for them. Just say, you know, pray for me. And then have, I would say also to make sure you have some people that you can really trust to go and say, and pray, and as as uh, as Rissa said, to to, to go and, and ask them, a, a coach or a spiritual advisor or somebody that you can trust and you you can rely on, and not to go anywhere else, to talk to them and and get their help as well. Well, we haven't hit on, I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but we haven't hit on one of the biggest things that a lot of pastors deal with, especially small church pastors. It's different, different reality for, you know, bigger megachurch pastors, but that's the financial struggle of being a small church pastor. Um, one of the criticisms I get a lot, because I make a lot of TikTok videos, one of the criticisms I get a lot is I'm just in it for the money. And I feel like if they could see our budget and know how much I willingly get paid, that they would realize I am definitely not in this for the money. I mean, but, but it is a financial struggle because a lot of pastors are bivocational. They have, you know, a full-time job somewhere else. And then they do this part-time or a full-time job somewhere else and they pastor full-time. And like we said, it's not just the, you know, number of hours it takes to prepare the sermon. Uh, It's, it's the premarital counseling. It's the time you're sitting bedside by the families uh, leading up to the funeral, which is days or hours or weeks. Uh, It's the, you know, the, the research into, you know, how to best counsel someone dealing with, Everything under the sun, from anxiety to addictions to, you know, uh, phobias, fears, uh, whatever. I just had a woman reach out to me uh, who's just, hey, I'm, I'm alone. Can you help find people that I can talk to? Uh, and okay, so now I'm trying to look into how can I find people that will connect with this woman who doesn't want to leave her house? Um, and all that things takes time and you can't do all that and then show up, you know, nine to five at another job, although a lot of people do. Uh, and even when you're at the nine to five job, because when I was in a full time job consulting for the government, even though I was a teaching pastor on staff at a church, I still throughout the day building calls, trying to help people, responding to emails, all this kind of stuff. Uh, so there are real financial hardships that pastors go through and um i know mark you know it's you and don it's me and christy we don't have like a family of six us our wives and four children yeah. and, and risa you're we're, we're not all like 
okay, we're trying to feed six, seven, or eight mouths on like, you know, what the average small church pastor makes, maybe 26000 a year, if that. In this economy. Mm-hmm. So those are some real uh, financial hardships that people don't realize that pastors deal with. We're not all driving, you know, Lexuses or, or cars because we've got a mega church and a million dollar budget and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, that, I mean, that just weighs, that's another huge weight on on pastor. Yeah. And with that goes also keeping in mind we have to keep our families first. Our wives and our children, we have to put before the church in all all circumstances. Um, and part of that is taking care of them. And as, you know, as a man, you're supposed to be the breadwinner. You're supposed to be the provider. And as a pastor, you're not. Nine times out of 10, the wife is the, the breadwinner of the family. You know, so the roles are backwards and um, it's a real struggle sometimes to sit here and go, if only I had a a full time job, I almost said a real job, but pastoring is more than a real job. (laughs) But I had a full time job where I was making what I was before I entered the ministry. We wouldn't have the burdens that we have now. And and it does weigh on on a pastor's heart. And knowing that our church can't pay more than what they're paying, I wouldn't ask for more. I went to my church not even knowing if I was going to get a salary or not. I took the church not knowing whether I was going to get a dime other than what I was getting for special guest speaking, you know. And so I had no no idea what the pay was going to be. I didn't ask and I didn't want to ask because if we are in the ministry for money, then we're in the wrong kind of ministry. Um, I mean, we have the wrong calling, I guess I should say. We weren't called by God if we're looking for money. We were called by somebody else. God doesn't call us for money. He doesn't call us for um, any other reason than he says, I want you to be a pastor. He laid it on my heart. I knew without a doubt that was what I was going to be, even though I ran from it for 20 years. Um, I knew that's what he wanted. And he always promised that he would take care of us. Didn't promise that he would give us extra. The extra is nice sometimes, but he didn't promise that extra. He promised to take care of us and that he has done. Well, scripture makes it clear that the body of Christ should take care of its, of its pastors. And yes, you're absolutely right, Mark. Many small churches can't pay a living wage. Right. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to do is in a sense, pull the curtain back just a little bit on the things that, that fill our, our days because so many so much of ministry is is not seen uh, so much of ministry happens in a home um, in a in the in the aisle at the 
grocery store. Um, so much of ministry is not involved in that one hour. And yet so many of our churches, although they tease about it, a um, friend of mine used to say, you know, Risa, there's a little truth in every kidding. Mm-hmm. And when they say, well, pastor, you only work one hour a, a week. I think yeah. we need to pull the curtain back just a little bit on that. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, I think um, not in a uh, angry or frustrated way, but in a, I want you to understand what it takes to do what we do way uh, to share and expose the, the, the time that's spent. Um, and I will say this because, I mean, we've all seen in that pastor group where, uh, well, like both of you said that, you know, they should pay. They Some of them can't pay. But as we've seen in that pastor's group, there are some that won't pay, that don't want to. They want to stockpile the financial resources and not pay a pastor anything or pay as little as as they can and I, I think that's such a disservice to God because that's a reflection on God it's hurting that pastor that pastor that pastor's family and God's call on that person uh, to that community uh, but for the most part I think many of the congregations just because they're small and they only have limited resources especially in the economy we're in now, um, I thank God that uh, our congregation uh, is 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 not suffering financially. Um, we don't spend a lot of time teaching about giving, talking about giving. Uh, uh, we, when it comes up in the Bible, we say, "Here's what tithing is. Here's what you're supposed to do." Uh, we don't try to manipulate people to give, um, and I think. Everyone that does give, gives because this is what they're able to give. Right. Uh, and we tell the person, if you give two cents a year and that's what God has called you to give, thank you so much for those two cents. We're going to try our best to use them in a way that brings glory to God and honors your sacrifice. Yeah. And I think people respect that. Uh, and we're also you know, very transparent with here's, here's what we're, we're, we're spending money on. Um, and like, like Mark, when I, when I, came to, at the time, Beulah, I had no idea what they were going to pay, but my wife and I spent a lot of time in prayer because we left six-figure jobs to walk into what we knew was going to be like, you know, 80, 90% cut in pay, uh, which is why we wanted to pray and make sure, okay, God, you, you've got to have us in this because there's no other way this is going to work, um, you right. know. You created math, <laughs> and the math doesn't add up unless you're at work in this. And he has been for the last 15 years, and we're so grateful for that. But um, I think that, uh, I think, Risa, you hit it on the head, that as we can, not just for our congregations, but just to let people in general know, we need to pull back that curtain uh, and kind of shine a light on. You know, for the ones that say you only work an hour or two on Sunday, you need to shine a light on the other 60 or 70 hours a week that they spend mm-hmm. ministering, laboring, cleaning, 
preparing uh, whatever it is that they're doing yeah. uh, so that the world can see that it, it's it's you know uh, that as the bible says that you know we are worse the pastor is worth uh, what they're getting paid and on that note i think um we're gonna unless you guys have anything else we're gonna wind this down with prayer um and before we pray i'm gonna ask mark will you pray again i always ask mark <laughs> uh but i will say it has been such a joy having you here um, it has been yeah. wonderful guys yeah we'd love yeah. to have you back yes i was I gonna say um we 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 will definitely have you back uh you have such wonderful insights uh, and i i will say now what i said in the beginning this is definitely a woman that God is going to continue to use. Amen. Amen. I believe that. Thank you. All right. So, Let's Mark, can you close us in prayer? Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege of coming before you and gathering together um, for this podcast, Lord. We thank you for for Rissa and her ministry and her her devotion and her love for you and for pastors. And we ask that you continue to bless her and give her many, many more years of ministry. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as pastors to just um, be more in tune with your spirit instead of blocking it with with our own um, stubbornness, our own pride. That We would just open our hearts to you and show it to the people who we are ministering to. And Lord, I just ask now that you would be with us until our next podcast and that you would go with us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.